We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined by, I'm sorry, I'm going for it, Mr. Simon Howell. How's it going, Simon? I've been worse. Had a long press screening, not enough coffee, so I'm a little fatigued, but we actually had a good... TV week for once. Yeah, it was so, good. Yay. There was lots of great stuff this week. It's so, you know, it's sad how excited we are about that, I think. <laughs> a little, yes. Yeah. But, you know, after after the after the drubbing we took last week, I think this was a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Lots of good stuff. Uh, let's see, we got a few tweets I wanted to mention. Uh, TNRLM, which is an abbreviation for something that I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, suggested checking out case histories because, you know, we were talking about how Awake finally has a premiere date uh, since the firm is dying a, a, a not-so-slow and painless death. And not dignified. And not good, dignified. No, but Case Histories is a series uh, that the BBC did, one of those uh, Sherlock-style three-episode seasons that are so frustrating to me. Uh, but it has Jason Isaacs in the lead, so that's thank you for that. And uh, I, I plan on checking that out soon, hopefully. And then also I wanted to say Mario is liking Deadwood. He has finished season one, and yes. he's totally digging it. So that was Like uh... a sensible human being. <laughs> Yeah, so that, anyways, I wanted to mention that because I know it's, we've had somewhat of a continuing saga of Mario's relationship with Deadwood on this show. So thank you for letting us know where you're at, Mario. Um, at Sound Insight, uh, we have some Oscars articles going up. Um, I think it's about snubs, right, is the, the idea? Snubs and general screw-ups. Yeah, it's going to be a 17-year series. <laughs> And uh, then my article this week, I'm looking at TV series musicals um, in honor of Smash, which of course started up yesterday, had its premiere. Uh, so I looked at uh, sort of this brief history of the genre. No graphs, no charts. <laughs> and there's six, and there's at least 6,000 words about cop rock, right? Oh, at least. I mean, it's it's a major entry into the uh, into the, the into history. Into the musical cop genre. Into the genre. Yeah, absolutely. Gotta talk about Cop Rock. Um, so that should be going up later this week. And then later in the show, before I forget, uh, we are going to talk with Tyler Smith of Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson about The Critic in our DVD shelf. That was a lot of fun. So that'll be coming at the end of the show. But I think we should get into this because there's a lot of great TV to talk about this week. So uh, what do you say? Let's uh, kick things off. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, let's start things off with New Girl, which is a show that I haven't had much warmth for and actually skipped for quite a few weeks until you urged me to watch it this week, and I'm glad you did. Uh, the episode's called Jess and Julia. Julia's the character played by Lizzie Kaplan. Apparently this is her second appearance. I'm assuming she's going to be in at least one more episode, uh, judging by this one. And I thought this was pretty great, actually. I, I think it was... There was a lot going on in this episode, but I think one thing that it did very astutely was... Yeah, it, it was sort of a, even a good episode for non-fans of the show because it seemed to acknowledge, look, 
we know Zoe Deschanel can be kind of awkward and annoying to watch if you're not into her shtick. So here's Lizzie Kaplan, and she's like the anti-Zoe Deschanel. And actually, it's funny because um, when when I was trying to get people to watch Party Down not too long ago, I actually described her as the thinking man Zoe Deschanel. And there she is. And it, it's just a very canny 22 minutes of comedy. Yeah, you know, I really like this episode because... First of all, it was funny. I laughed. And it's sad how infrequently that tends to happen with network comedies for me. So there's that to start out with. But also, I think that there's a lot that it's doing and doing very well. I I love its exploration of gender roles and female identity. I love that we get to see two entertaining nice, smart people who are so different uh, in Jess and Julia. More than anything, I love towards the end of the episode, there's this scene that I think is fabulous, which is basically Jess does a verbal smackdown of Julia and says, just because I'm girly and I like ribbons and I, I, uh, I like to play with glitter, doesn't mean that I can't be strong. And I really liked seeing the the strong one who which is Lizzie Kaplan's character who's much more assertive and confident in general being insecure and the delicate one Zoe Deschanel being more sure of herself and I really liked seeing that contrast and I loved that it's was the message of the episode was basically that it's okay to be either one of these it's not you're not less of a woman if you're if you're uh, less feminine stereotypically and you're not weak if you are so I really enjoyed it. Well, that was interesting. There's another theme sort of percolating in the episode about how, you know, the culture sort of demands that that women tear each other down, especially Mm -hmm. in in pop culture. And this is something that's come up a lot in the last month or so in the music realm, uh, both with critics sort of digging into the backstory of Lana Del Rey and and, you know, the, the really strange sexist overtones going on there, or even the way people are trying to pitch this beef between... Um, between Azealia Banks and Nicki Minaj. And I know none of this means anything to you, Kate, but, <laughs> but there's just, in, in general, I, I thought this this episode sort of had some, it, it, especially in that scene where they're just sort of sitting around crocheting and discussing their childhoods. I, th- I thought this episode kind of probed into, like you said, into into gender roles and things like that in, in an interesting way. I think if there's a, a problem with the episode, really, it's that I sort of want to see, like, I want to see a whole show devoted to their interaction. Mm-hmm. Like, th- that that would be a, a fantastic basis for a comedy. And it's sort of what Two Broke Girls is trying to do. That's what I was going to say. utterly, utterly failing. That's the Two Broke Girls that I actually want to watch, um, <laughs> as opposed to the one that's currently on the air. It's a great point. Uh, the other thing for me that I would say with it is that I love that they don't just make up and become friends at the end. They still don't really get along that much, and that's and it's okay, and I love that. Mm-hmm. It's such a unsitcom thing to do in general. Yeah, no, it's it's a and like you said, it's, a, it's also a funny episode. And I, I mean, I, I've I've always liked the the. It's weird because even the, the 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 funny thing about the episode is that I'm still on Team Kaplan by the time it's over. Like <laughs> I still find Zoe Deschanel insufferable and annoying, but I, I do think that the supporting cast, uh, the male supporting cast, is great. And I, I do wish that they I, I hope that they uh, mine this territory of those two characters as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So 
a excellent week uh, for New Girl. Then on Wednesday, I think we're going to be a little more mixed on this one. Top Chef Texas. What did you think of the Pee Wee Herman episode? <laughs> Uh, okay, look, Paul Rubens, I, I'm sorry, but Pee Wee Herman is creepy. And I, I'm just <laughs> going to go out and say that it's creepy. It's weird. I don't like it. I don't get it. I, I, I it, it does nothing for me. And just seeing him in in character, judging them, um, was d- just didn't work for me. Like I, I know it's something they've sort of done before with with El with you know in the Muppets episode, but uh, first of all, I just didn't feel like. If you compare to Charlize Theron a couple weeks ago, I didn't feel like he had anything of, of insight to say about the, these dishes, and he ends up resorting to annoying gimmicks, like calling everyone's pancake the best pancake, and it's supposed to be cute, but it's just really creepy and annoying. Um, and and also the whole challenge with the bike riding and, and the transporting of food and having to find a kitchen to cook in was just so gimmicky. Yeah, this one didn't really do it for me. Plus, you know, they kicked out Grayson, which I wasn't happy about. Um. I think that's really interesting because for me, I loved his pancake thing, uh, the this best pancake I've ever had, just because, yes, that's maybe something Pee Wee Herman would say. I don't know. I've actually never seen any Pee Wee Herman uh, Playhouse, the big adventure. I'm vaguely culturally aware of Pee Wee Herman, and that's about it. Uh, but I, you could see Paul Rubens being in character as Pee Wee Herman, but also behind that, you could see Paul Rubens just fucking with them, and I thought it was hilarious. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Mostly, what I saw was a lot of laughter that mostly seemed really forced. I mean, the idea that all these chefs and all these critics all think that Pee Wee Herman is charming and hilarious—I don't buy it. I think at least one of them is like. Maybe and and actually, there's a moment early in the episode where uh, Grayson is is making her pancakes, and she's like, "I hope that's whimsical enough for you." <laughs> I, I wanted more. I wanted more cynicism in the episode, basically. But you know, that's that's me. Now, I I didn't get a chance to watch. I mean, actually, it's very it's a lot harder to watch Last, Last Chance Kitchen here in Canada. But uh, I take it that there was some frustration there. Yes, I was very frustrated by Last Chance Kitchen this week because uh, I've I've started I caught up with it a while back, a few weeks back, and I've actually really enjoyed it because I think a lot of the season would work better in ten minutes as opposed to an hour each week. Um, but I was very frustrated because we watched the episode and then it says go to bravotv.com or you know it's also on demand usually the next day to find out who you know who's going to win last chance kitchen and so then i went and i watched it and at the end of last chance kitchen they say find out who won next week on top chef so they they didn't actually tell you who won they showed you everything up to the reveal of who won and of course very conveniently it's really close it could go either way but the winner is cut uh yeah, it's incredibly frustrating, and if I didn't need to watch... The first part of the episode was not particularly interesting. It's not like... It, the challenge was just make a dish worthy of the finale. So there's nothing... There's no particular reason to watch that. It's not something that we haven't seen them have to deal with before. So basically, there was no point to watching the episode. Um, I assume that Beverly won, if only based on the reaction shots we saw in Top Chef. If, if Grayson had just walked right back in, I don't think it would have been particularly, you know, reaction worthy mm-hmm. of people. Well, so, and, and, and also, just from a producer standpoint, the idea of booting Grayson out just to have her come back in the next week, I imagine, is not a desirable outcome. 
Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens with it, but mostly I'm disappointed that Naisha didn't go all the way. Uh, she's the chef that I'm by far the most interested in of the entire bunch, but, and she's not even winning fan favorite right now. Malibu's got that sewn up, it would seem, but. Why? Because he's pretty? I don't know. But Ugh. Naisha is like in fourth place. She's after Grayson. She's after your girl Grayson, uh, who I think okay, is in okay. second or third. But yeah, I really was hoping she would come through and at least get the 10 grand fan favorite. But uh, I feel like we've talked about this too long, though. Uh, yeah, we have. Let, let's move on. Thursday, you didn't catch 30 Rock. This was uh, Today You Are a Man, which and, and I had express frustration with 30 Rock so far this season on the Televerse in previous weeks, and this was the last week I was going to give them to have a good episode, or I would stop watching the show for this season. And unfortunately, this episode's the best one they've had this season, so I don't know if I am <laughs> allowed to stop watching. The, there are two main plots. You sound like a slave. I I know I'm a, I'm a slave to my own crazy basically, uh, but the the a plot is uh, of Liz and Jack renegotiating her contract, and Liz is using some video that Jack put out years and years ago on how to negotiate. So it's basically Jack negotiating against himself, and that there's humor derived from that, and that's a solid uh, that's a solid plot point. The, the secondary plot though, the B plot, is that Kenneth is going to quit the page program. Wait, does that sound familiar? Because that was the exact plot as last week. Yes, they did it again. And even my enjoyment of Kristen Shaw couldn't save this for me. It was just not interesting, not funny. And the the, the horse is dead. Stop beating it. Um, We'll see. I, I, I don't know. What do you think about 30 Rock? You didn't watch it this week. Did you miss it? Uh, you know what's funny is I didn't realize that I hadn't watched it until I sat down to record this podcast with you because I, I caught Parks and Rec live thinking that I must have caught 30 Rock, but no, I, I really didn't. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm obviously we'll, – we'll we'll take a stand with it next week and, and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, spe- speaking of Parks and Rec, Parks and Rec, uh, the Valentine's Day episode was a week early – or actually two weeks early – um, and, uh, I thought it was a good one. I thought it was maybe, I was on the upper end of good for them recently. Um, I think one thing that's really notable is, I mean, my complaint for the last six weeks has been, they really haven't given Anne much to do. Mm-hmm. And this week, I mean, when I said that, she, that they weren't giving her much to do, I don't necessarily think that putting her in a couple was what really what I meant. But, you know, I think pairing her up with Tom is a smart choice. Yeah, I'm interested to see if they commit to that or not, you know, because of the way the episode ends, which I thought was pretty hilarious. I love this episode. I thought it was so much fun. Now, granted, I don't know how much of that is because, of course, we all love Ron Swanson and I love scavenger hunts and haven't been able to do one (laughs) for the past, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. That was the last opportunity I had. So I would totally love a scavenger hunt a la Leslie Nope. Um, so watching his progression of the episode was hilarious to me, uh, as well as just how perfect Ben and Leslie are together <laughs> of their instant reaction to a potential Anne and Chris, uh, uh, get back together situation was mm-hmm. hilarious. And little Sebastian, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the thing at the end with Anne and Tom. We'll see where they go with it, but you know, Chris being depressed. 
we've never seen him depressed. I think there's a lot of yeah. potential there. Yeah, yeah, and well, yeah, we've seen him sick, but not depressed. And uh, I think that's a really smart move on their part. I, one of the nice things about Parks and Rec is that it's not content to hammer the same notes with characters. Usually, they they try to find new angles, new approaches to characters that we know and sometimes love. And I think. You know, they're not just building their repertoire in terms of the ensemble. They're they're building each member's uh, sort of repertoire of po- of possibilities for plots when they do that. And I think that's that's a really great move. Yeah. Oh, I was also going to mention Aubrey Plaza was looking good in the episode. It was nice to see April actually, you know, make an effort and get all dressed up for the dance. Uh, but it, it was nice if only because then she looks more her age as opposed to April's age. And so it seems mm-hmm. a little less creepy now that Chris Pratt is looking, you know, actually like he's in his 30s as opposed to when they were trying to make him look like he was younger than he is. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is. Uh, that is an improvement. Uh, speaking of improvements, uh, the limited this week's episode of Archer. And if you were trying to write an episode of Archer that was for me, I mean, essentially, this was a Skytanic redo. <laughs> and I, I love Skytanic and with its with its barrage of helium jokes. This was maybe a, a, a hair, a sliver under that episode. But, I mean, this was basically Skytanic on a train with Nova Scotian separatist terrorists. Uh, and Babu! And Babu, yeah. Uh, Babu the Ocelot. And I, I think, actually, just the, the, the last scene of Archer just talking to Babu in the back of the, in the, back of the cruiser was probably my favorite scene of this season so far, including the three-part opener. I thought that was fantastic. I, I think my single favorite joke or, like, single word of the entire season so far is Serpentine! <laughs> <laughs> I loved this episode. I laughed my butt off. I watched it a couple times this week, which, given that I didn't get to a couple of their shows because I was short on time, is saying something. It was hilarious. Uh, down the line, each character had something fun to do. We got to see Cyril be incompetent again, which I thought was interesting, given that they had him be so surprisingly capable in the last episode. What did you think of that? Oh, that was that was fine by me. I mean, it was it was it was a necessary point to make to to make the episode happen. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's good to have him oscillate between uh, oscillate. oscillate. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that was totally <laughs> unconscious. Um, b- between you know being being a surprisingly good field agent and, and just having these total lapses in judgment, I think that makes sense. Considering yeah. he's had many lapses in judgment in the past, <laughs> just a few, and even just things like the, uh, the, the 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 Americans are racist jokes and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and everything on the top of the train. It was so spot on. I don't know. I love yeah, I, I love the run-on conversations that Archer has with with villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and what was interesting is uh, to me anyway was the the Canada humor wasn't quite what I was expecting. You know, I was I was hoping for maybe a little bit more specific Nova Scotia related humor that no one was going to get except me, mm-hmm. which didn't didn't really happen. But there was other subtler things like the fact that the villain was voiced by Ricky from Trailer Park Boys, and apparently the other ones also are show show up in the episode. And little little things like that that I thought were cute. I, I like the the dueling possible possibly terrorist mounties. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah so I love much, that the so mounties good. are packing heat and ready to kick mm-hmm. ass, not uh, mm-hmm. the stereotypical portrayal of mounties, shall we say? Yeah, and and lots of great callbacks. I mean, not just the ocelot, but also the fact that Cheryl owns the owns mm-hmm. the train company and is really nerdy about trains. 
that was great. Um, yeah, lots of good stuff. It was yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun, and I did enjoy that. Like you said, it is similar to the Skytanic episode. I like that they had a shout out to that at the beginning. They did reference it, uh, so hung a lampshade on it, and I think that took away anything that made it feel like it might be um, just a retread. A retread yeah. So, but yeah, great week for comedy. Even Thirty Rock, which I didn't like, had its best episode yet. So. Let's keep it up. I I would love to have just as much great stuff to laugh at this next week. Yeah, for sure. All right, my headphones are coming off because you're about to start talking Vampire Diaries. Yep, he, uh, so Simon's going to go into his uh, isolation chamber, uh, and I'm going to just briefly talk about Vampire Diaries. Now, I have a review up of this on soundonsite.org, so if you want my fuller thoughts, you can check them out there. It's so nice to have the show back. I'm having so much fun with it. It was a good episode. It was a transitional episode, which means that only one character died, which I thought was kind of hilarious on this show. A light week is with only one death. Uh, Candace Akola, or Akola, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, knocked it out of the park. She was great this week. Uh, she, uh, then uh, Jeffrey Morgan, I believe, also was really good. He, was, of course, is playing Klaus. And... Uh, they each got some emotional scenes and showed a lot of range. I really liked the resolution that they brought to Jack Coleman's character. I'm going to miss him, but it made sense and it raised the stakes for this new uh, thread that they're bringing in with the, the, the serial killer going up to the founders. Um, I'm looking forward to spending more time with the originals, and uh, I, I can't wait to see Rebecca's reaction to to everything. That should be interesting. I'm a little uh, iffy on the mom for now, but we'll see what happens with her. Uh, Bonnie's stuff wasn't too great. That was the definite weak point of the episode, but I'm hoping that they can they can bring that up and uh, really develop that to make it more interesting than it currently is. But it's very nice to have Vampire Diaries back on the air and weekly and that I'm able to, to watch it week to week. So please let me know what you thought. I would love to talk Vampire Diaries with you guys. Dro drop a line at, at the comment or leave a comment at my review or just on the Sound On Sight post for this uh, and or send me a tweet or something. But I'm, I'm enjoying having the Vampire Diaries back. And you've returned, Simon? Yes. Okay. Yes, I and have. To listen to me talk about two more shows you didn't watch. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I just noticed that. <laughs> So Grim, you've Grimm. been keeping up on this and I haven't. Yes, I have. And I, I find it entertaining that, what was it, like the week after I say I'm going to stop talking about Grim on the podcast, they have a really strong episode, Organ Grinder. And so I felt like I should talk about it. This was their Hansel and Gretel episode. And it, I thought it was done very well. Probably one of their best episodes. There's a serious threat. There's some serious gore. Um, and it ties into the original myth of Hansel and Gretel in nice, subtle ways without banging you over the head with it and without feeling too restricted by its ties. There's no, for example, there's no candy. There's no, uh, like the closest thing you could analog to the candy that they are tempted with is a job. They're, you know, they, people are getting taken off the streets by being promised work and they're being harvested for organs instead. Um, there's some nice stuff with Monroe. Silas Weir is always great on the show. Um, we'll see what happens with Captain Renault and where that goes. But for now, it was a definite improvement over their recent episodes. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what happens. Then we have on Supernatural. Oh, and I should say Kath has a review of Grimm up on the website as well. Supernatural was on Friday uh, at the same time. <laughs> and I have a review of that up on Sound On Sight. Slice Girls, which was uh, Supernatural does the Amazons. Interesting premise, Sarah Canning, who you would know as 
uh, Aunt, I want to say Julie on Vampire Diaries. Right, yeah. Yes, she showed up in this episode of Supernatural and had actually really great chemistry with Jensen Ackles, but I get the impression she's not coming back, so that's felt a little wasted. Harry Groner, or Greener, who, of course, you would know as the mayor from Buffy, was on and was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully he'll be coming back. He played an anthropology professor uh, who thought he was working for the FBI. We'll see what happens if they bring him back, if they maintain that ruse or have something else happen. But he's always fun. So any show that is able to bring him in in a recurring basis is probably going to benefit from it. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was light. It was nice to see some good humor between the brothers. Um, I, I'm hoping for more standalone episodes. For once, a show where I don't want serialized. I want standalone, at least for a while. Um, we'll see where Supernatural goes, but this was a step in the right direction. And then to bring it back around, please start talking about Fringe because <laughs> I'm about to die over here. What did you think of Making Angels? Uh, yeah, not not fantastic. I mean... The the big thing about this episode is they're finally giving Jessica Nicole something to do after three and a half seasons. And, you know, that's a novel idea, and, and she's great. I mean, and you she finally gets to meet the alternate universe Astrid, and they get to interact, and the alternate Astrid is really Asperger's-y for some reason. And they have, you know, their interaction is fun, and her interaction with Walter, et cetera, et cetera. And Walter and Olivia are fun as well. But I re- it really felt like more stalling to me. I mean, last week contributed basically nothing to the master plot, and this week doesn't really either. And, guys, you don't have that much time left. You're probably going to get canceled. Get a move on. Come on. And also, the the Freak of the Week didn't really do much for me, um, especially since it felt weirdly similar to last week. We, we, you know, they're both characters who can who envision the fates of people and try to intervene or don't, and organized around that principle and i don't know it felt like a retread in strange ways well and especially when you have a character in this case olivia who has been told ominous things about her future to have two weeks in a row where you have characters capable of seeing other people's futures and deaths and to not take advantage of that in any way to further if nothing else her mental state of someone saying oh i've seen what happens to you you know it's be nervous, you know, have mm. have something to stress about to give you interesting things to explore. Uh, seems seems definitely like a bit of a waste. I think I like this one quite a bit better than you did. I When I f- was watching it, when I finished watching it, I actually really liked it. My problems, uh, the problems for me emerged upon writing my review and thinking about it more. Um, I thought Jessica Nicole was actually really great. I loved that they gave her something to do. Um, I thought this is the first time we've gotten any information about Astrid and other than she seems pretty smart and she works for, for the, the CIA. So that was nice. Um, and I think Jessica Nicole delivered in her scenes. I liked that what we got with Astrid and which is other Astrid and, uh, and Walter, I thought that was so much fun. What did you think about the Folivia Walter stuff? Cause I, I thought it was really fun, but for me, it raised all sorts of troublesome pr- questions about how she had ended up here in the first place and switched with Olivia. If Peter wasn't there and what did you think of that? Oh, I, I don't think about those questions anymore. They're, they're, they're too tangled now. I mean, it was a nice comic beat for them to do. And 
I think uh, it gave Walter his, his best one-liner in recent memory when he when he told her in your dreams or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, that was cute. I mean, lots of the episode was cute, and it, again, nice that 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 Jessica Nicole had something to do, although it was incredibly jarring, just given that they've given her nothing for so long, and just this sort of information dump about her character in this one episode was a little strange. Yeah, I. I was also a little disappointed that while I was very glad to get more about Astrid, Lincoln was just practically not in this episode. Yeah, well, it, it was all yeah. It was weird that he was sort of like an alternate protagonist at the beginning of the season, which was mm-hmm. neat. And you know, Seth Gable's a fun guy to watch, but, but since then they've really just given him nothing to do. Yeah, I feel like as, as soon as the show came back uh, in, in from a hiatus this year, it he's done almost nothing the most he's done is when he's over with peter in the other universe and that's not about him that's about peter so i really wish they would balance their characters more um i don't know maybe he's just too busy being chillian murphy's stunt double somewhere (laughs) and then uh my other question was the observers i'm nervous about where they're going i've i like the observers but the more screen time they get the more i worry about their the producers and writers ability to make them work and make sense and not uh jump the shark with that concept yeah i mean i I think i'm on record as thinking the observers are probably the least interesting aspect of the fringe mythology to me if only because they seem like a deus ex machina delivery device but uh yeah i i didn't really get any new fodder for worry this week i'm just generally not that taken with them uh, and also they're less interesting when they're not played by michael Cerverus. yeah that's that's true um let's move on to saturday and the fades episode four uh what did you think of this one uh wow this got dark huh <laughs> um no i can't think of too many t- what's What's interesting about the fades is they pack so much plot into so little time. Uh, I mean, this it's only a six-episode season. I assume there's going to be a second. I know there's been chatter about a second. But uh, not that many shows would progress this rapidly, and even fewer would think to put their protagonist in front of a semi and potentially die uh, this this early in the show. But it, it, provi- it provided for some interesting dynamics between the angelics and the fades and the characters left living um i wasn't super crazy about the hoodoo being performed at the end of the episode although it looked very cool um it did seem like a slight cop-out but uh other than that i mean I, i i was really into it this week it was obviously not the funniest episode because that wasn't what they were going for but uh i i really liked all the scenes of mac processing what's happened and trying to be useful and i like the stuff with his sister as well yeah, I didn't have any problem with the the ending. Uh, I don't think I would have had a problem if it did work, but it didn't work. And so he brought himself back, which I think is much more interesting. At least that's what I took away from it. Um, because they try and it fails, and then the body, uh, his, Paul's body dies, and then he disappears and comes back with all the butterflies stuff. Um, I For once, Aren't I actually... They moths? Yeah, they were moths, but these were all sorts of colors. Normally oh, it's I a moth. I didn't notice that. Uh, at least, go. unless I had a particularly shiny TV at the moment, it looked like they were they were all multicolored, and so th- I implied that they were butterflies, which I thought was an interesting thing. I actually want to know what that's about. <laughs> Normally, <laughs> I don't, I don't think wa- it's about anything really. It's just a cool effect. Yeah, but that just it doesn't make sense. If there's not a reason, then 
I don't know. I see these. You know, it's more zombie white bread. This for, for, this for is me. the sort of thing that gets you in trouble. Yeah. Well, on Fringe, I don't want to know about the Observers. On the Fades, I do want to know about the Maws. I agree. I really liked um, Mac and the sister this week. Um, what are you thinking about the the villain? I want to say his name is John. Uh, well, I I mean, I, I did think that having the whole thing of leading him to the hideout was a little dumb, but I guess it was a believable thing for him to do. Mm-hmm. Um I'm I'm a little bit confused about why he couldn't just jump off the roof. That's what I was about to say. Why can't he just jump down? <laughs> yeah, because it's not like anything's gonna. I mean, he's already dead or like brain dead or whatever. I I couldn't really understand why. It's not like he that... can hurt himself if he can't touch things. Yeah, although I imagine it would hurt a lot. Well, I don't know. Do do ghosts feel things? Well, I don't know. I mean, it it's it's tricky because whenever they try to touch real people, they get all sparky. So yeah, they get I would burnt. imagine that that maybe deliberately injuring themselves might do something similar but it's mm-hmm. yeah it's not really something the show's gone into but yeah. uh, I, I i think that john is is uh i mean i i actually really liked john's backstory mythology that was super creepy and quite mm-hmm. sad um his deception was very easy to see coming but yeah i'm, yeah. I'm definitely in, i'm definitely intrigued by that villain for sure yeah we'll see where it, we'll see where it goes from here and uh while the deception was easy to see coming I think they sold Paul believing him or wanting to believe him. And I, I yeah. think that they, they made that work, when, whereas with other characters, it might not have. I like Neil this week, too. I, I like the episode. It was good. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, then I watched An Idiot Abroad, which you, I believe, did not get time to catch with, catch up with. This is Swimming with Dolphins, which, of course, on An Idiot Abroad means stop over in Thailand, meet some ladyboys, uh, hang out with monkeys, meet a snake charmer who's had the, the snake responsible for him losing several fingers, and then finally get to Australia and swim with sharks instead of dolphins. I'm um, suddenly very upset I didn't watch it this week. <laughs> yeah, it was I, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I think it's been the best episode so far this season. And what I particularly liked about it is that it was surprisingly introspective. And um, and I, from Carl, talking you know, with his time with the ladyboys uh, was really interesting. And you could, you know, he was... I, who knows how much of this is scripted and how much of this is real, but it, it seemed genuine. His, because he brings up the notion of what if his his girlfriend of like fifteen years said, "Just FYI, I feel like I can tell you this now. I was born a man." Would you know, like it's like so it like, prompted some discussion of that, and I thought it was really interesting and nice to see. And <laughs> I loved his time on the on the um. With the with the snake guy, he hated the monkeys. The monkeys were all assholes, which was pretty funny. But <laughs> on his time on the sh- uh, with the with the shark thing was just hilarious because, of course, the captain of the the ship has been bitten by a giant white, uh, great white shark, and uh, and then prompts uh, proceeds to say, "Oh, but it's really rare." To which Carl says, "Yeah, but that's what they told you." Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was fun. I had a lot of, I'm really enjoying Idiot Abroad and that one's, I think, I think they're like half done already. So hopefully they'll do another one next year. Um, then Sunday was the Super Bowl. Did you even bother seeing any of this? I know you're not a sports oh, hell guy. No. no, I don't uh, do that. Okay. So we were going to review the ads, but, uh, you know, other, other life happens, I suppose. So I'll just go through quickly. Cause I did, even though I didn't care, I still about the game. I still watched it because apparently that's what I do. Um, it was a good game. 
it was a nail biter down to the end, which was very nice to see for once. The halftime show was Madonna. Um, my only issue with it was they. I'm pretty sure she was lip syncing the middle portion because it was entertaining. You could hear the reverb in the stadium in the first part of her performance, and then you then it sounded like a CD. And you couldn't hear any background noise. And then CeeLo came out and joined her and she stopped dancing so much. And all of a sudden you could hear the reverb again in the stadium. So I'm pretty sure that means she was lip syncing in the middle, which was disappointing because she didn't do that much dancing. So because she was in these ridiculous, like ridiculous heels. You know, I've seen worse halftime shows. Uh, the, I think, uh, but I think Dan Feinberg from HitFix said it best when he was asking how come they didn't just have the people from The Voice do the halftime show because that would have been a good show. Yeah, and then maybe you would have had fewer voice commercials. Um, though I did enjoy the voice commercial. Did that you they feel, aired. did you feel your family values were offended when MIA flipped the bird? See, I didn't even see it. I, if that happened, I missed it. And I mean, cause there was one spot that like got messed up for like a second, less than a second. So maybe it was on a delay and they screwed it up on intentionally, but I didn't see any, any uh, middle fingers, so I didn't know what all the controversy was about. Um, let's see, the commercials, I liked the vampire one, thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, the the Ferris Bueller one was better in the long version online, the short version wasn't that great. John Stamos getting headbutted, I think nearly killed my dad, who loved that episode. Um, the dogs barking the Star Wars theme, pretty good, if only for the at-at dog at the end, which was... Fun. Uh, let's see. In general, the ads were just much better than they've been in the past few years. So I, I had fun with it. Um, have you heard about the Clint Eastwood ad at all? No, I, I, I don't really follow the. It, also, keep in mind, I live in Canada where none of these things air. Ah. We don't get we don't get your fancy schmancy commercials <laughs> except through illicit means. So I, I don't I don't follow the clamor over the Super Bowl ads much. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so yeah, you know, it was a, it was pretty much a good show. And then it was followed up by The Voice. I like The Voice, so sue me. Uh, I, I, at least one person, I think it was Ken, was giving me uh, crap on, on Twitter about it. But uh, I like The Voice, and I enjoyed this season, too. I watched it last season. I've watched the Sunday and the Monday night episodes. Um, just There's a couple things that they do on The Voice that I really appreciate. They start out with good singers. They don't waste time making fun of people who shouldn't be there, which I really enjoy. Um, I like that they, I like that the judges perform at least once. I think it's like once every several weeks they, they stand up there and they perform. They show why these singers should be listening to them and why they deserve to be judges on the show, which I think is great. Um, I, you know, I, I doubt we'll see Tyler and Randy Jackson doing whatever he would do and, and JLo up there, you know, proving why they're judges. So, and I think they usually have interesting things to say. They have a great camaraderie between them and sometimes it gets to be a bit um, childish, but on the most part, it's entertaining and the singers are good. So I like the voice. I'm looking forward to this season. The The contestants are a bit more uh, photogenic in general this season than they were last. Um, and there's uh, a general blandness to some to them as far as sounding like other people, but it's still early. So uh, we'll see what happens. And, there's, and the average is better than last year's average, though I don't think there are as many highs as last year's highs yet so that's my thoughts right. on the voice I'll, i will i will attempt to uh join you in the voice next week okay. i got i got a little i got a little uh crammed with stuff this week speaking of cramming <laughs> um, 
So <laughs> Mea culpa. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of screwed up with Downton Abbey because we realized that the UK and US episode numbers weren't quite matching up. So we'd been a week behind for a little while. So this week we watched two episodes. And I think I would qualify the, these as the best and the worst episode of the season so far. Uh, or or close to it, anyway. The first episode, episode five, uh, involved, or of course, fourth. Matthew. Or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Matthew and William, of course, get blo- get blowed up good on the front and uh, wind up back at the Abbey. And William is dying. What exactly was William's ailment? Like Lung, lung issues. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty nasty. And so, of course, he asked Daisy to marry him on his deathbed. And that was, I mean... That was pretty harsh. I mean, there was no way around it. I, I, I'm a little frustrated by Daisy as a character just because she complains a lot, even when stuff is her fault, and it gets really annoying. But in this episode, at least, it, 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 it made sense, and, and that whole plot was nicely handled. I, I like the scenes of Matthew sort of coming to terms with his uh, newfound... Uh, he, he loses the use of his legs. Apparently, his spinal <laughs> cord is severed. Or does... Well, shh, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> and him him dealing with it and, and dealing with Lavinia, I thought all made sense and wasn't too overdone. And I mean, my my only real issue with the way the show handles things like this is I find the music is a bit much. It's a little rich some of the time. Uh, but generally speaking, I thought the writing and, and, and performing was good. Let, let's stick to this episode for a bit before we move on. Yeah, it was looking to follow our trend of everything is good this week, uh, or at least everything's better. Um I did really like the first episode that we watched. The like you said, the the stuff we got with I was very surprised that they killed off William. I didn't expect them to do that. I expected him to come back scarred from the battle and and Daisy to realize that she did love him, you know, or something like that. And that's not the way that they went. So I applaud them for that. As far as Matthew, I also thought it took some balls to paralyze him. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. Uh yeah. I, the... It was effectively sad, basically, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, well, and I I liked that we saw similar to Jess and Julia almost. We saw the contrast between Lavinia and Mary in their in their interactions with him, and I thought that was interesting about both of the characters. Um, so we'll see again <clears throat> where that goes yeah. later in the discussion. But right, I, I liked I liked the episode. All right, so good. Episode five. Good job, Julian Fellows. Good job. Episode six. What uh. is your goddamn problem, Julian Fellows? <laughs> what? What? Oh, this, man. Everything about this episode was wrong. Uh, just, okay, let's start with the big obvious plot point of bringing back the heir who, uh, at least we're assuming that he is. I mean, d- judging by his fleeing at the end of the episode, I can only assume that he actually is. I feel like if he weren't, then they would have discredited him by the end of the episode. Uh, it, the, the whole thing of him surviving the Titanic, then going to war, and then being in Canada. and With okay, convenient amnesia. With oh, amnesia, my... and also somehow he's been living in Montreal for you know this whole time, and he somehow developed a Vancouver accent, which <laughs> he's played by an actor from Vancouver, and that just didn't make any goddamn sense. Well, and um, everyone knows the cure for amnesia is to get hit on the head again. That's totally how that... Oh, you... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so many things wrong. Uh, the whole... So, let me get this straight. So, Matthew's spinal cord gets severed. Mm-hmm. Is, isn't that what they said? They, and so then, they said. Right. But then... Which, we, actually, FYI, does not stop people from having kids. That's not true. 
Yeah, the, the, well, and also just the in concert, these two episodes and their treatment of getting paralyzed was kind of questionable. Just the way everyone was like, oh, you're actually paralyzed. Your life is over. But that's yeah. okay. We still like you. Like, you can't, you can't have kids or contribute. And he doesn't think he can contribute either. Which And nobody ever stops, ever considers thinking, well, you know, maybe, you know, you maybe your life isn't so horrible. And I don't know, yeah. maybe it, it, it is uh, an accurate reflection of how people would have handled such an injury in 1918. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know. It just, it felt off. Like, it, it I, I don't know. It, it didn't feel like a nod to hit to historicity. It just felt like them being dicks. Um, yeah, well, like you'd think you you can't walk, but you don't have your entire butt, face and hands scarred and burned beyond recognition. Right. I mean, yeah. which of those two are you going to pick? Yeah. Uh, also, just the, the oh, so many things wrong with this episode. Daisy, stop whining. We hate you when you whine. You're being so annoying right now. Shut up. Bates. And his wife. Oh my god! What are they doing? Yeah, I oh messaged you. I don't know if you. Hope, I thought you'd already seen it, or I wouldn't have sent you. If I sent you a message about halfway through the episode, going, "Oh, you know what? She's gonna turn up dead, and then it's gonna be a did he kill her? See, because he said to Grantham that it would be nice if she were dead. Because yeah, that's where the storyline's going. Are you? And, and I didn't have a problem with Daisy. I think it's interesting. I think it's character development for her to, to show this sort of uh, introspection and guilt and insecurity. I think that's something new. So I'm okay she's with been that. Guilt, she's been guilty and insecure for the whole season. She's been guilty and insecure for the past two weeks, two or maybe three, and that's it. But they're still I, they're, they're I, plucking I don't think that one note pretty hard. Yeah, but compare that to... Uh, to the magic magical mystery air and mrs bates <laughs> is dead and now all uh, the character assassination of isabel that they're managing isabel now and oh, uh yeah, they can just horrible. go look shiny yeah that will distract you and so then you'll get out of our hair because instead of taking she was an interesting and strong and intelligent woman and now she's a meddlesome busybody who needs to be distracted with shiny things yeah I mean, oh and, and the implicit message of that whole plot line is like oh we need to keep we need to stop downton abbey from being a place that's like useful and that can actually would actually help people you know we can't have this sort of meddlesome this sort of meddlesome presence trying to make our lives more interesting and 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 you know and to actually contribute to society no yeah. that would be bad and and just the way the show roots for that is just really gross well i understand them wanting their home back i absolutely do and i think i can see a longer thread happening with lord and lady grantham as she is becoming increasingly modern and he is stuck in the past and wants his wife to be going to luncheons with him to sit there and talk when she has other things she's doing. And she and I enjoy watching that relationship develop and I have a feeling it'll come to a head in the next few weeks. But they don't need to just, just character assassinate Isabel to do that. And no, then let's talk really about... Don't. Oh, and and the uh, the I, I enjoyed what we got with Matthew and, and Mary, and I thought that worked. But then we're bringing Except Lavinia back. Being... <sighs> Even that, like Matthew, was so petulant this week. It was yeah, hard but he to just got with. paralyzed, and and is uh, and and William died saving him. So I mean, I think he's earned some right to be petulant. I guess I just felt like it was it was overdone. And yeah, bringing Lavinia back was annoying. And even the stuff that's that there's, I mean, the rest of it, the better part to me are just passable. Like the stuff with Sybil, okay, fine. The stuff with Edith, okay, fine. But 
Nothing yeah, is... Sybil's not interesting to me. She went from one of my the most interesting of the sisters to the least interesting of the sisters for me this season. And especially when you have years passing between each episode, how has nothing happened in that relationship and we're supposed to care about it? It's been years and nothing in that relationship has changed. And she's not met anyone that she is interested in other than the chauffeur who occasionally she will talk to in a yeah. vague sense about the future. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And like, and come on, like, she's not exactly hard to look at and she's supposed to be like in her season or whatever. Well, and, and she's, she's uh, intelligent and there she's surrounded by all sorts of accomplished and interesting people and, the old, she only has eyes for the the chauffeur who's not that interesting. Let's be honest. Yeah, he's a bit of an idiot. Um, yeah, so yeah, not not good. Step it up, Downton. Come on. Remember, well, remember can't... when you were crowned the most critically acclaimed show on TV eight months ago? <laughs> most appreciated, audience appreciated. That's very different than most uh, uh, critically critically acclaimed. But but yeah, it's it's like everything that was bad about the first season is worse this season yeah you know all, and, all and, of the contrivances yeah and and this week i mean we we got a whole season's worth of bad ideas crammed into one hour well i mean and then, the, and then some extra ones thrown in for fun even just the stuff with patrick or the stuff with lavinia leaving and then coming back those are interesting storylines you can do but you don't do them in 45 minutes you don't do them in an hour you don't have lavinia be leave and dejected one episode and then come back the very next episode and have us miss her and have it have any sort of significance mm -hmm. oh and i know we've talked about this too long already but i also hated what they did with carlisle this week because he was kind of threatening to be an interesting character and mm -hmm. just like the way he was actually contributing and and maybe he was you know he was an opportunist and and you know not necessarily the most loving husband ever but potentially he he was he could be level-headed and, and useful Mm -hmm. But then this week they made him an asshole. Uh, He's a brute who's, who is somewhat physically abusive and clearly will be uh, manipulative and emotionally abusive. Yeah, which so, is the easy thing for him to be. It's for, the easy uh, thing for, for him purposes. to be, for us to root for Matthew, absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, and that's without even talking about O'Brien and Thomas, Lord of the Black Market, which we have coming for us. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. God. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, we, we've, we've gone we've, on too long about let's this already. cleanse Ugh. the palate. I know you liked this episode a little more than I did, but it's still so much better than Downton Abbey. Let's, let's go on to luck. Yeah. Go ahead uh, and talk to us about luck. Yeah, um, I'm really loving Luck so far. I have to say, uh, from what I've seen of John from Cincinnati, I think Luck is so far a marked move back towards something like Deadwood, wherein we have a, a, a very, a very consistent sense of location and an internally consistent world as well. And and you know, and the the many characters that that make make it up. I think between this week and last, we have. I think we're we're getting to know the characters, and not just you know the Dustin Hoffman, Nick Nolte characters that you would expect. I think we 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 have a much stronger sense of who many of these characters are, and uh, I think the ensemble is really coming together uh, very well. Even though we don't have Michael Mann directing this week, the visual sense is still is still very strong. Um, I know that that many people were complaining about the sort of expo dump sequence that uh, sequence or sequences that we get between Dennis Farina and Dustin and Dustin Hoffman. I mean, they're a little annoying, but 
they weren't they're not a deal breaker for me. I mean, I I would rather they get they get this out of the way now rather than, you know, ha- rather than having annoyances like this every week. I feel like it's a it's a good way for them to get into overdrive shortly. Uh in general, I'm just I'm really pleased with the tone of the show and the way things come together and lots of great quotes this week which we didn't really have so much in the first episode. Um yeah, I'm I'm really really digging where this is headed. Yes, I was one of those people frustrated with the expo dumps. Um and I disagree rather strongly uh, about rather get, just get it out of the way. I would rather they do it well. Uh, that doesn't seem like it's too much to ask, particularly because David Milch is able to do it well. He's shown that he can be very good at that. And every scene we got with Dennis Farina and and Dustin Hoffman featured lengthy expo dump from Dennis Farina. Not, not every e- scene. Not every, every scene. Every scene that I can think of did. At least every scene had at least one bit of expo dump from Farina, and it it was awkward. It didn't make sense for him to be saying, and it stood out like a sore thumb. That being said, oh, and I also I don't care about the gamblers like at all, so that doesn't help. But I did really enjoy uh, the. T- I'm really liking Carrie Condon. She's the the Irish jockey. Um, I liked her a lot on Rome, and it's nice to see her pop up again here. I'm looking forward to spending more time with that character. Um, I'm not what I'm not sh- so convinced about the the horse whisperer character uh, as much as the the magical trainer, but in general, it is just a well conceived and put together world. So I am interested to see how it develops and changes. And I definitely had a sense of Deadwood from the, I can't remember the character's name, the guy who nearly gets killed by the insurance scam women. Oh um, that yeah. Felt uh, like Renzo. Straight out of yeah. Deadwood. Yeah. I think he's, I think he was the big discovery of the episode for me uh, because he, just the way he's so soft-spoken, but also ambitious and the way he's sort of enthralled to the Marcus character, who I think also is, is developing quite nicely. I mean, I don't know, out of the sort of low-life characters, the only one that's not really doing anything for me is Marcus's son, Jerry. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's the sort of story we've seen before in other in other media. But I, I really feel like besides him, uh, the, other, the the characters are really coming together nicely. And I, I like the Horse Whisperer. I assume you're talking about uh, uh, Nolte? No, 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 no. The, uh, the other trainer. Uh, oh, Escalante. Escalante. Oh, come on. I think he's great. And I like the and I like the way he toys with his accent. Like like in the first episode he's almost indecipherable and here he's yeah, a character even points out like hey, I, he, I, I can actually make out some of what you're saying. And it's <laughs> a, there's 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 a, a weirdly meta aspect to that character. And um and also I, I I mentioned this in my review, but anyone who's confused about things like the claiming race, which I I admit I was a little bit confused by, uh, if you go to HBO.com, there's some neat little videos as well as interviews with Milch where he talks about some of the more technical aspects of the show every week. And they're not like essential reading, but they're, they do provide a little bit of background if you are feeling a little bit lost, which I will confess at some points I was. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. I kind of I followed where it was going or just uh, just let it fill in the gaps. I got the gist. I got the idea. There might be something I check out. But, you know, all of my complaints aside, I am really enjoying the world and I'm very interested to see how it develops and where it yeah, comes from. I, there, so. I will be disappointed if it doesn't do very great things. Well, and it's already been picked up for a second season. So, yeah, that which is not well. a surprise. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Monday. We had the Smash Pilot, which we've already reviewed. We both enjoyed that, so we would recommend it. Seems, am I representing you correctly, Simon? Yep, I was. Uh, I was. 
I very much enjoyed it. Very curious to see where it heads next week. Um, I caught up with Lost Girl, O Kappa My Kappa, and Fatal Attraction. I was a week behind on that, but I'm now all caught up. I really enjoyed watching Kenzie uh, go undercover at a sorority. Um, I thought there was a nice misdirect in that episode, and it was pretty well done. As far as Fatal Attraction, I thought it was fun to see the Furies brought into things. I didn't expect to see them. Uh, so that was nice, and I liked that the human was the crazy one, as opposed to the incredibly dangerous Faye always being the bad guy. So I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with Lost Girl. It's not amazing yet, I don't think, but I think it is just, like I was saying earlier, it's, I, I do strongly get the Xena vibe of just, it's fun to spend time with these characters. So I'm, I'm enjoying that. And then we also had on Monday, well, there was more of the voice, but I don't have anything to say. Um, so let's go to how I met your mother, uh, the burning beekeeper. What did you think? Uh, eh. I mean, <laughs> sad trombone. <laughs> uh, this was, I, I mean, the episode was formally kind of great. It like, it was great on paper. Like, you know, the the idea of, you know, this these quick five-minute bursts of comedy dealing with uh, Lily's party. Um, and it, it was very rapid fire. And if the jokes had worked, I think it would have been a uh, pretty great episode. It's just a lot of it didn't land for me. It was very inert to me. I mean, we, we, got, we have Martin Short back and Chris Elliott's still around for some reason, which I guess is part of the joke. But, eh. um, yeah, I, I have very little productive to say about him this week and in general lately yeah um Himium, it's time oh is it happening uh, we've had a, a nice a nice history was it six years seven years of, of faithfully watching the show but i'm done i'm breaking up with him at least for the podcast i'm not going to talk about it on the podcast anymore because it took a perfectly interesting and uh a, a full of potential premise and structure and absolutely wasted it because the jokes weren't funny. I don't think I laughed once. And the, the, the worst part of it is that the structure was, was promising, but through the entire episode was building to the kitchen because things, you know, Barney comes out of the kitchen says, Oh, it's fine. Comes back. The burning bee guy comes out of the, the kitchen. The Gouda comes out of the, the kitchen and can't possibly be eaten. And, Everything was incredibly predictable. As soon as you heard that there were mice in the basement and that she had ordered a Gouda, I wonder if the mice were going to find the Gouda. And as soon as, as the, uh, the the suit is dipped in kerosene so that uh, it, uh, because of the bees, I wonder if it's going to catch fire. It's just the whole thing was was set up to no punch line, to no payoff. It it wasn't funny, and I expect better from the show. And normally these high-concept episodes are where they do their best work, but here it just was a waste of my time. I mean, if you think of, of the big-picture conceit of the show, you know, of, of the kids being told about how, like, why is this episode important? <laughs> like, why do they need to hear about this? Why did we need to hear about it? Not, it didn't say anything we didn't already know about these characters. It's just filler. Well, and that's okay if it's funny filler. I like the Subway Wars episode. I thought that was a lot of fun. I like the Best mm -hmm. Burger in New York episode. That's Those are both fillers and more high concept things. But this wasn't funny. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so. we, we, you know what we need? We need a breakup sound effect. 
<laughs> we, I, I, we, I should concoct we do. something we, for that. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what? That's like, what, four four different shows? Ringer and uh, You for Spurgatory, Me for Himium. There are a few other ones. Yeah, we, we, need, a, we need a motif for that. Um, and unfortunately, it's a bit of a down note to end on. So I think let's, we're going to take a break and come back and spotlight Justified's episode Harlan Roulette. In general, though, though we're ending on a downer, it was a good week. So yeah, I agree. Let, let, let's listen to some music. We'll be right back. was Long Way Home by Orb Mellon, which was featured in this week's episode of Justified, Harlan Roulette. Um, I know that we're feeling a bit predictable here, spotlighting Justified each week. Uh, Simon, why don't you talk to, why don't you talk about that a little bit, and why, why, why do you think we have Justified in the spotlight? Well, I, I think that Justified provides a set of thrills that are kind of unique to it. I mean, there are arguably better shows on TV like Breaking Bad or Louie or whatever, but I'm not sure there's any other show that mixes uh, fun and humor with tension in the same way as Justified. And I think this third episode is probably uh, – I, I, it's about on par, I, I would say, with the first episode of the season. And I do feel like the show is going to ramp up uh, shortly. I mean, the, the the tendency with Justified is – pilot establishes the the villains or the major players and then we get a few episodes that are a little bit more standalone it seems like we're going to get less standalone uh this season because even this episode although it was it had episodic elements i mean the but the 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 robert quarles character played by neil mcdonough was instrumental in what happens this week so it seems like we're going to get a lot less villain of the week type stuff and the preview for next week looks like it's totally going to be part of the the main story unlike last week's episode um, the thing is that even though this, I, I get the impression that this is justified on a slightly lower gear than it's going to be headed on uh, in parts of the season, it's still uh, extremely enjoyable. Uh, I, I had thought that we had exhausted the number of Deadwood alumni that we're mm-hmm. going to get on the show, but apparently not. We get Pruitt Taylor Vince, who's best known as Mose on Deadwood, and he's great this week. Uh, he gets a few choice scenes with, uh, with uh, our boy Timo. And uh, I loved especially their little exchange about his car and the way the way people perceive it and how that sort of evolved over the years. Um, I think uh, Quarles is shaping up to be a really strong villain as well. And I like the way he even puts Win Duffy on guard. And that is not a guy who's usually intimidated. Uh, yeah, lots to like in this episode for sure. Yeah, I thought it was great, and I don't feel bad about having it in the spotlight at all because I think it was the best episode last week. The most. Uh... The most interesting for me and the most, uh, the, the one that had this, gave me the strongest reaction other than maybe Archer and Parks and Rec right after I watched it. Um, I loved t- uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince. I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was hilarious the way that his final scene went down. Um, yeah. 
That yeah. was, it was just fabulous. It was so much fun. And contrasting that, which I was, you know, I was laughing out loud during that scene, and you contrast that to his Harlan roulette scene, which is downright right, terrifying. Yeah. I thought it was great. Um, but and the thing that I like best about his final scene is not so much that it's just hilarious, but it shows us so much about where Raylan is at right now, because the Raylan of season one wouldn't let that happen. The Raylan mm-hmm. of season two wouldn't have let that happen. But this Raylan, he's weaker. He's not in the same position uh, of authority that he was in. Uh, so he would, and he would have controlled that situation better in the past. So I think it's interesting. Well, maybe, or maybe he just would have shot them himself. Yeah, but if he had shot him, he would have shot him in the arm. And, uh, yeah, they, yeah. you know, they wouldn't be dead. <laughs> he would be in a better <laughs> yeah, situation. I loved, I loved him just being like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> when, <laughs> a, a, after just. And I, I oh, like the keep finding. <laughs> I, I I love the way they keep finding uh, ways around his. I mean, they don't discuss his injury at all. We don't really know if he's still meant to be feeling it, but they found a way around. I mean, in season one, he's just shooting people left and right. In season two, they they took his gun away for a while, <laughs> which was which which was a very knowing move, I think. And in season three, they kind of do something similar with having him be injured and be and be off his game. And I I like the way they find ways around him not being a sharpshooter or not shooting people so very much. Not having I feel like that at some option. Point, yeah, and I feel like at some point they're going to run out of ways, but for now they 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 keep them coming. Well, I guess, um, I would imagine that the way eventually what they'll do is he will have matured enough that he doesn't just shoot people all the time. Well, um, that wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> Um, I also, you mentioned Neil McDonough. I, I've been a fan of his for quite a long time, and I think he's great here. I wasn't as sold on Corals in the past, but that that's a hell of a final scene. And if there's any way to uh, to play up Neil McDonough's character, it's the way that uh, that final scene goes down. Because before, when, when Duffy had been a threat and had been a question mark that you couldn't really control... And so to have to have uh, Raylan come in and just smack him down and finally have that conversation, which was mm-hmm. so well done, and and so you see his handling of of uh, when Duffy played very well, I would say by Jer Burns, mm-hmm. and and to see the this the detachment and the the clear sizing up that we get from Neil McDonough's character of Raylan, I think is a hell of a way to put those characters in perspective. And to show you just where the season is headed. Yeah, I mean that last scene. That I mean, the rest of the episode is is good and funny and solid, with a few peaks here and there. But that like last two and a half minutes is just pure concentrated badass. <laughs> like, like I I I, so I watched that scene a couple of times because there's so many great moments. I mean, just starting off with Quarles acknowledging his debt to Taxi Driver in terms of his little arm mechanism and and the way he gets cut off when he's telling oh i was christmas shopping and then (laughs) shows up that was fantastic i mean his just the whole scene crackled with tension him finally having the conversation was great and and actually and that line about next next bullets coming faster was probably his yeah like one of it one of the most badass things he's ever said and And they don't let him have it they don't that would have been the scene they seen capper he walks away with the last line last word in season one or season two but they don't let him have that neil mcdonough mm-hmm. yeah is gets the last word and that mm-hmm. yeah i think that's very interesting uh what did you yeah. think of the the crowder stuff we got 
They got Johnny's bar back. Right. Yeah. Well, it's great to see Johnny again. I was wondering when that was going to happen. Uh, he's a th- I think he's a strong character. Um, you know, that was probably the least interesting aspect of the episode. But I, I, I am a, I'm really excited to see how that plays out with the Crowders versus Quarrels versus uh, versus the other characters that are percolating around. I, I feel like they're going to have a lot of fun exploring those dynamics. Uh, yeah. I and mean, with uh, Michael, Michael T. Williamson hanging around as well, I think that has potential there. We'll see if it turns into an us versus them sort of a thing with with them and uh, the Crowders uh, banding together to force out McDonough. But I don't know. Yeah, and and the as I mean, this is a standard thing with serialized drama, but the the showrunners have threatened a body count this season, like a serious mm-hmm. serious body count, and and I can definitely see it happening. And yeah. maybe 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 they can just kill off Ava and develop another character more interestingly. That would be nice. I I feel bad for <laughs> for thinking that. I do really like the actress. I just don't think they're doing much with her. But uh, who knows what'll yeah. happen? Um, I am really looking forward to to next week. Uh, Spoiler alert if people haven't seen the promo, skip ahead like 20 seconds, but I'm really excited to see uh, Dickie out on the lamb, so uh, we'll see what oh, happens with that. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the second most exciting guest spot news of this coming week, which <laughs> I, I'll, I'll shut up, but it, it involves a comedy. Anyways, um, yeah, it was another good episode. Looking forward to, uh, to, to the season that's to come, so yeah, good stuff. Yep, and uh, as per usual, I'm writing weekly reviews on Justified, so it's the review for this week should be up not long after this podcast, so very stoked to see what's happening with that. Yep, good times. A few show notes before we go into our DVD shelf. Of course, you can find us on iTunes. We have an MP3 and an M4A feed. Uh, you can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. We'll have a post up on soundonsite.org for this podcast. We didn't get any comments last week, and I know that you're listening because I talked to you guys on Twitter. So please leave us some comments. It would be nice to, you know, get some back and forth with you guys and see see what you thought of all, all of this stuff. Um, we, of course, are, have our Chicago meetup happening in a few weeks now. It's coming up. Uh, we're going to go to the Siskel Center and see Mulholland Drive and then go go hang out afterwards. So that'll be on February 21st, 22nd? I feel like it's the 22nd. It's a Tuesday. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> we should look at a calendar. Maybe I should look at a calendar. But It's uh, the 21st. The 21st is the Tuesday. So that's when that's that's happening. So so let us uh, drop us a line if that sounds like fun, if you're in the Chicagoland area. Um, also, we're up on Current, and we are on Mevio, but we've been having trouble with that. So if you listen on Mevio, please... Drop me a line and let me know how, because I'm having difficulties finding us. So uh, I would be very curious for any media listeners out there if you would let, let drop an email to the Televerse at gmail.com so I can find out what's going on with that. Um, but I think that's about about it. Any any final thoughts, sir? Before we go into our no, shelf, let's let's uh, let's go into the uh, DVD shelf yes. on uh, the Critic, which was loads of fun, by the way. So much fun. So we'll be right back with Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson to talk the Critic. Oh. What's wrong? I'm 36 years old. I'm lonely. My hair comes out of a spray can. You know, I had to go on camera without this stuff. Let the world see me as I really am. It's empty. Oh, I'm bald and ugly. Get more! Hello, I'm Jay Sherman, and this is Coming Attractions. Tonight, I'll be reviewing Home Alone 5. 
<gasps> we left Kevin home alone, and he's only 23! Ah! But first, let's start with Arnold Schwarzenegger's latest film, Rabbi P.I. It's the story of a Chicago cop who goes undercover as a Hasidic Jew. Eat lead, Rabbi. Sorry, that's not kosher. Because I love you people, I won't force you to watch the musical number. Well, maybe just a little. Oh, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made you out of clay. Heh. Back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzig, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are talking The Critic. And here to join us in the conversation from Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson, it's Tyler Smith. Tyler, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. So why did you choose The Critic? Uh, for a number of reasons. One is that uh, it's, it's a show that I grew up with. I didn't really grow up with, but as I was starting to develop my own sense of humor... Um, the show came on and I didn't really know what it was. And, uh, and I think it was, I was like 12 when it first came on. So, and I, I enjoyed the Simpsons. And so I figured I would like this as well. And sure enough, I did. It, it was just such a silly show, but also I could tell that it was well-written and it had such clearly defined, uh, characters, excuse me, characters that, uh, I just, I just responded to it pretty much immediately. And then, um, as you and I were talking uh, about off the off show, whatever, um, Comedy Central went on to just rerun it constantly. And uh, then when it was put out on DVD, I just uh, I bought it up. In fact, you know what? I think it was actually purchased for me as a birthday present uh, by my co-host of Battleship Pretension. And so um, it's just a show that the more I get into it, uh, the more – I get into movies, the more I appreciate the show and realize how actually intelligent it was. Not that I ever thought it was dumb, but there's a lot of layers to the show in many different ways. And so it's just on every level I respond to it. Yeah, it's a fun show. Uh, I was struck, and we had also dis discussed this uh, off off mic, but um, I was struck upon rewatching some of this in preparation for this conversation, how little of it there is because it was run so long by Comedy Central. I was certain that... There had to be, what, three, four seasons of it? And I think I just saw the same episodes over and over again. Uh, and and so had this sort of recollection that there were more episodes than there actually were. Um, but, yeah, it's a fun show. And it's one that there are two things that struck me more than anything else this time around, which was it's very, at least to me, very reminiscent of uh, Family Guy in its structure and its uh, – the 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 way that it cuts away all the time to different sight gags and references and things, which mm. I thought was interesting. And the second thing was I really love a lot of the music that was in it. I didn't remember that from the first time around, but I really got a kick out of that. Simon, what was your relationship this, with the show? What did you notice in it this time? Well, I'm sure I actually remember it premiering when I was a kid. 
or at least I'm going to tell you that I'm sure. In my, in my, I remember it happening, whether or not I actually saw it happen. Uh, memory is funny that way. But I hadn't actually watched it for a long time, and I, I watched quite a bit of this at work. Uh, I work at a video store, and almost half the fun for me watching The Critic was watching people's reactions to The Critic, because even though it's not a show anyone talks about, it was something that everyone instantly recognized and often would stick around to, to watch it quite quite a bit of it. And it's impossible to talk about the show without talking about The Simpsons because it shares so much of that show's DNA in terms of personnel and also in terms of the comic rhythms. Uh, I mean, it's I, I agree that you can you can see sort of the genesis of stuff like Family Guy in, ter in terms of the cutaway gags, but so much of the voice cast and I would say also the rhythms are, are indebted to the, to the Simpsons. And of course... There's also a, a famous crossover episode wherein Jay, who is voiced by John Lovitz, uh, makes an appearance uh, on The Simpsons and when they have their, their film festival, which is a classic episode. Um, one thing that I didn't remember from seeing it as a kid, obviously it wouldn't register, is I think in the moments that work best for me, it has this sort of melancholic air to it that you don't get quite as much of on The Simpsons. And I think part of it is from the music, which I believe is mostly done by Hans Zimmer which uh, is interesting. Uh, I, I didn't even know he ever worked in television. And it, it has this this Woody Allen-esque uh, sort of sort of vibe. It's appropriate that a Woody Allen uh, impersonator shows up uh, more than once on the show. And I, I think that was the stuff that really worked for me, was, was when it was... When the, the episodes that most revolve around Jay being in New York uh, with his family doing his job... Well, and that's why for me, though, I, I checked out the um, the web shorts as well. Uh, they don't work as well, I don't think, because, yes, they're funny. Yes, they riff on the films of the time. But for me, I care way more about the heart of the show, the relationships between uh, between Jay and his family and, uh, and Alice and Penny far more than anything that we get at when he's at work, as funny as it is. Uh, but I do agree that that core heart is what makes it so appealing. And I think, uh, to me, I mean, the, the show has a lot of really great characters. Uh, Jay's boss, Duke Phillips, uh, his dad, Franklin, his mom, Eleanor. Like, there are a lot of really distinct, funny characters. But to me, Jay Sherman is, like, one of the most amazing animated characters ever and it's pretty i mean the show is compared to the simpsons and family guy and and that's fine i would agree but i think the difference is that with homer simpson and peter griffin you get characters that are kind of dumb and mostly inept at things with jay sherman you get a character that is actually very smart but often to his own detriment and it's often his own insecurity that causes his troubles. Like he's, he is at times kind of dumb, but more specifically, he's just, <laughs> he just has no shame. <laughs> he so badly wants to be liked and accepted that he's willing to do anything. In the first episode, he says, aha, there's one thing you didn't count on. I have no pride. <laughs> and he's just, and that's where a lot of his, uh, a lot of the comedy comes in. And I think some of this can be attributed to the, I said shameless already, the, the shameless, the totally unselfconscious performance of John Lovitz, who is willing to do whatever is required. If Duke is reminded of the Pillsbury Doughboy because Jay has a girlish laugh when he pokes his stomach, uh, then 
John Lovitz will do this adorable little laugh. It doesn't matter. Like he will do whatever is required. And, and so the character, you're absolutely right. There is a, there is a, a, a tone of sadness and loneliness. Uh, and it is very, in some ways it's very different than the tone of the Simpsons where Homer always has Marge and his family, whereas Jay is alone and he is looking for love. He's looking for the acceptance that he obviously did not get from his parents. Uh, his relationship with his sister is pretty sweet. I like that. Uh, I like his, his friendship with Jeremy Hawk. It's just, it is, a you know, when you watch special features, they do say they want a very different tone for the show. And I think it is smart, but it's not above having dumb gags, but it makes its characters mostly smart and articulate and the relationships are just a little more i think i think you nailed it it's very woody allen like where it's people desperately trying to relate to each other but being generally unable to and so there's there's a sadness there but it's still incredibly funny at the same time mm -hmm. and i i think for me to get a little bit critical which only seems appropriate um in the in the times when the when the show goes a little bit off that track when it has him, you know, uh, chasing, uh, chasing a, a, a cure for his boss's disease. I should mention his boss is voiced by Jack Napier, <laughs> who's fantastic. Um, uh, one of the best, uh, Charles the Napier, Jack Napier, is Jack, the Joker. Yes, sorry, Charles Napier. Yes. Thank you. Um, that's a terrible mistake or, or the episode, or, you know, the, the episode where he goes to LA to become a screenwriter. Um, those episodes are, are, are fine for the most part, but they don't work for me as well as when it sticks to the home base. I do think the L.A. episode works well. The, yeah, the uh, Jay's Oil thing is it's a funny episode, but man, what the hell is it about? I mean, it's just it doesn't it doesn't really fit tonally, but it's it's I'm OK with it because I'm laughing. But it, it really does seem like it exists outside the universe that's been established. But uh, Los Angeles, I think it does play a part in who Jay is because, you know, so many people who consider themselves critics, including myself, like we like to think that, well, maybe we could write a better movie and all of that. But there's also in the same way that people think like, I'm going to go to Washington and I'm going to change things. Damn it. <laughs> it's like, well, you still need to work within Washington and you still need to work within the studio system. And often that is what screws it up. And I think we might be a little too inclined to blame artists when in fact it's, you know, studio heads and uh, producers and executives that, that tend to, you know, cut the, the guts out of something. And so I think, and there's also a history of, of film critics um, becoming writers and directors like Peter Bogdanovich. Um, so I think there is, you, you have a guy who is very intelligent and, and laments the, the, the modern state of film and art in general. And then he's being called upon to do something himself and finds that, uh, that he is unable to for a number of reasons. One is that his, uh, his script for Ghost Chasers 3 is uh, way too pretentious for audiences, but then also uh, the the studio just has no interest in it, and he's unable to do with what he feels like should be easy. And so I think it I think it does add to a different aspect of him, which is the uh, the impotence that he often feels as a critic that no nobody likes and nobody cares about. I do find the show so much uh, more entertaining than, well, I don't know if more entertaining is the right word, but I definitely identify with 
Jay more than I wish I did. Not his actual personality, <laughs> but we've just watched so many terrible pilots this season on the Televerse that I fear turning mm. into uh turning into Jay Sherman sometimes on, on the Televerse. So I I do think it's interesting to have that extra uh perspective to to the show and i wonder how if what you guys think about that if you think that influences the way that you that you watch it well i mean it's noteworthy for me that the last time i i watched the critic i was probably like you know 12 so i wasn't a critic yet i mean i was but i wasn't writing yet um and it's you know in between this viewing and the last i've done a lot of writing about film and I guess something that I can't help think about is, I guess this is a little different than what you were saying. When people talk about the critic and complain that it's dated, which I mean, obviously it is in terms of the the film references and stuff. Although most of them are so are so specific to major cultural touchstones that they're they're not really dated. Um, the aspect of the show that's dated to me in kind of a sad way is that it's from a time when you could make a living being a film critic and and in particular being a film critic on TV, which I mean, as evidenced by the fact that Ebert show is, you know, going off the air soon and you know, obviously he's not on it for different reasons. Um, you know, that era is really over and sort of the, the era of paid criticism in general is, is kind of ending. We're going the way of the cobblers and the blacksmiths, um, which I, I think maybe that, I, I I can't help but read that extra level of melancholy into the show when I when I watch it because so much of Jay's pride is based on the fact that he gets he gets paid to eviscerate stuff. I mean, he never likes a film. He I mean his his whole thing is the the they repeat them, but in the intro there's there's generally a, a different movie parody and it always ends with with Jay saying it stinks, which is his catchphrase. And there used to be a kind of cultural cachet to to that figure, which is is kind of gone. And I think um, it's it's interesting because you see the the attitude of Duke, and he sa- there's a, a quote where he's saying, "Your job." First off, he's like, "Why are you so critical?" And he says, "Well, I'm a critic. It's what I'm <laughs> supposed to do." And he says, "No, your job is to rate, rate movies from good to excellent." And he's like, "Well, what if I hate?" He goes, "Well, that's what that's what good is for." Um, and it's, that does seem to be the general attitude. I mean, you guys, you know, you, you regularly put your opinions out there, uh, as do I. And it is amazing to, re- to read people's response and how angry they can get at critics. And, and so often uh, the attitude that I run across is, well, you've never made a movie, so how do you stand the judgment of it? <laughs> oh, that's and, such a fallacious argument. Oh, my God. Yeah, I always, it's like, yeah. It's like, well, you've never made a movie either, and you're judging it. You just happen to judge it. You're just judging it to be good. I'm judging it to be bad. We're both judging it. I've um, never installed a pipe, but I still want my my sink to work. And I th- if the person doesn't do a good job, I still feel okay to call them a bad plumber. Yeah, I I don't have like I'm not a doctor, but I think if somebody like if a doctor cuts off the wrong leg, <laughs> uh, I think I can I, call you, malpractice. You can you can criticize, yes. <laughs> and also, um, it's one of those things that and so like. So you get like with Duke, you get that that uh, that attitude towards towards criticism, and so you do get the feeling that Jay is becoming more and more alone, and uh, not a lot of movies. Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, not a lot of uh, TV shows or movies are willing to 
address that. Uh, I think these days you'll find uh, 30 Rock does it, uh, which may explain why they are sometimes criticized. Um, you know, the, uh, I, I know that two seasons ago they really addressed the idea of playing to like a dumber audience in order to get higher ratings. And uh, they made fun of Jay Leno pretty directly. <laughs> and so, um, so you don't find it very often. And I think the critic and its willingness, and The Simpsons says it too, uh, uh, to a certain extent, um, their willingness to, God help me for saying this, because I'm probably overstating, uh, hold a mirror up to society. That might be a little <laughs> lofty, and I probably don't totally mean it. But um, its willingness to do that, I think, yeah, I, I think it all it all contributes to this. To Simon, I'm going to keep going back to what you said, this melancholic tone of uh of just yeah everything kind of sucks <laughs> um so, something else that's i think kind of unusual about the show and maybe i'm going to be alone on this one but i, I watched the entire first season and i thought it was a little strange because it doesn't happen very often but i think actually the pilot might be my favorite episode i think it's a really sharp pilot i think it, it sets up the tone and the setting and the characters so nicely and so many of the gags are so sharp i kind of feel like it has the best I mean, this is a show with a pretty rapid gag rate, and much like The Simpsons or Family Guys we've already mentioned, and I think it's got one of the best hit-to-miss ratios of any of the episodes, at least for me. I mean, comedy is obviously very subjective, but I, you know, there's some sh there are some episodes where they fall flatter than others, and I really do feel like it's an exceptionally sharp pilot. It is surprising how good that pilot is. When you look at how many pilots don't... First off, they don't really bear much resemblance to the rest of the series, but they also clear like I like a show I really like now, Community. Like I had to find it on DVD because I watched the pilot and thought that it was trying way too hard, and I just didn't like it at all. Oh, me too. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> okay, no, absolutely. I, I I was like, this is supposed to be one of the best best shows of the season. No, thank you. But then finally, I I came back to it after hearing about the mm -hmm. subsequent episodes. But um. But yeah, the the pilot is great because it it so thoroughly establishes everything that the critic is going to be. It establishes his family relationships and his professional uh, conflicts, you know, which is getting involved and his personal conflicts. Like he wants to be loved, he wants romance, but he also has uh, a certain degree of integrity, and he wants to, you know, keep that going. And uh, and it's just yeah, I. I'm not sure if I'd say it's my favorite episode. I think may I think maybe the Siskel and Ebert episode is my favorite, but uh, but the pilot is very very strong. It's worth noting this is the only TV show that Siskel and Ebert ever reviewed on their show. Oh, yeah. nice. They didn't review it very favorably, by the way. No, they were they were quite appropriately critical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the Ebert uh, and Siskel episode is is probably my favorite as well. Just if no further, no other reason than I did watch uh, at the movies all the time when I was younger and uh, really got a kick out of, out of seeing that relationship on the show. But I do agree. The pilot is really strong. I'm going to echo what you guys have said. And, uh, and for, for me, I find it interesting that a lot of I, I pretty much just see the series as the first season and the second season. I have trouble unless there's a particular guest star like with Siskel and Ebert. Um, I have trouble separating out what all the different episodes are sometimes. 
because it's I sort of remember the the at the at work stuff and then the not at work stuff mm -hmm. separately, you know, it sort of all blends together. But that actually for me is indicative of a certain level of quality. It's while the pilot may be one of the best episodes in general, it's pretty consistent, I would say. Uh, in rewatching a few to prepare for this, uh, oddly enough, one of my favorite episodes, I believe it is called uh, A Little Devil Do Ya? Um, and it's about his sister, and that is a character that is not really explored that much, unfortunately. But uh, but their relationship really comes through in that episode. Um, and uh, his sister Margot is going to a debutante ball, and uh, and so it's so it's him dealing with like his his you know upper class uh, parents, uh, and you see like how much of a monster his mother can be, uh, and how protective he is of his sister. But it also has maybe one of my favorite jokes, which uh, and that's and you're absolutely right. Like when you remember the specific jokes, it's like, well, I don't totally remember what episode that's in. It really could be in almost any of them. But this one is very specific because he Margot says debutante balls are sexist and elitist. You remember you said it in your you said it during <laughs> your review of uh, Boys in the Hood. And then, and then Jay's like, "Yeah, I was really off on a on a tangent that day," and just little <laughs> things. And I like that they didn't have to cut away. I, I like jokes where they reference something that we haven't seen and we don't need to see to just imagine how that could happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so I do. I, I enjoy that episode in general because that has a strong. It's a strong Sherman family episode, but it also, I, for some reason, I love that joke. And then I like almost any joke having to do with Duke because it's just he's such uh, they, like they I think they did a good job of making a very rich, powerful character and they did not make him like Mr. Burns. They made him very different. And uh, I think it could have been easy to make him a little too Burns like he's sort of the, the Ron Swanson of the critic <laughs> in the sense that he he's really closer to Ron Swanson than Mr. Burns in the sense that he's manly you know he's sort of this manly archetype and he's you know very he's he's intimidating in that way but he's also he's also quite gooey in in other respects yeah well and another character he started to remind me of was uh jimmy james from news radio yeah, um, yeah. but but it's still a very i would say different character like they can see certain connecting threads but i still think it's a very different character from from jimmy james it's worth mentioning also that Deb is voiced by uh, Nancy Cartwright. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about some of the voice cast. We've talked about John Lovitz, who's, I, th I would say, fantastic as Jay. But, I mean, Maurice LaMarche is is in this as as Jeremy Hawk, but then, what, uh, almost all of their their uh, impre impressions come from him, as well as Nick Jameson. Uh, there, there's a really strong voice cast here as well. It's I particularly, I particularly like his Orson Welles. And any time the show makes an Orson Welles joke, even if in I mean, in one case, they sort of recreate his famous wine ads. And there's really nothing you can do with that that isn't already that isn't less funny than the original ads. But they do a pretty, pretty bang up job anyway. Whenever uh, I, I hear Maurice LaMarche doing Orson Welles, uh, I also in that. I also hear the brain, and so I've yeah, it, which I always which adds another level of hilarity to me at least. I just always enjoy enjoy uh, Maurice Lamarche doing Orson Welles. When I first met Maurice Lamarche, uh, 
because uh, he, he's been a guest on Battleship Pretension, but I met him long before he was a guest on the show. I happened to see him out uh, in public at a restaurant, and I, I had a short list of like celebrities that if I see them in public, I will approach them and say something. And Maurice LaMarche, LaMarche happened to be on it because I've been a fan of his for a long, long time. And, uh, so, and also, I have to assume, because he's a voice guy, he doesn't get recognized that much. And so um, I went up and, and I talked to him, said I was a big fan. And, and uh, he said, oh, thank you so much. And, and I also said, you know, as, also as a fan of Orson Welles, I can tell that, uh, that you have a certain fondness for him. And he goes, oh, absolutely. And then he goes into the Orson Welles impression in the middle of a, uh, of a restaurant in Burbank. And, uh, and gets louder and louder. And he puts his arm around me. <laughs> And he goes, yes, yes, Tyler. And people are starting to laugh. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, this is awesome, but vaguely embarrassing. Um, but, but he was just like the, the, just the greatest guy. And, he's, and he was on Battleship Pretension, and he was just very, uh, very generous with his time. But, uh, but yeah, and, and, he's been, and he's been around for a long time. Like, I was a fan of his before I knew he, I was a fan of his because – he did a voice, did the voice of Egon on the real Ghostbusters when I was growing up, and I didn't know that until I did some research on him uh, before he was on the show. But uh, yeah, his his Orson Welles, like you can tell, the minute the uh, the creators of the show they heard his Orson Welles, they're like, okay, we need to do, we need. I know he's dead, but we need to use him as often as possible. <laughs> um, but uh, let's see, yeah, and then I do want to mention. Uh, Judith Ivy and Garrett Graham as uh, Jay Sherman's parents, they're both just fascinating. And Judith Ivy is clearly doing a Catherine Hepburn type impression. And uh, and I do like how committed the show is to making her character pretty unlikable at times, but also still very human. Um, if there is a villain to the series, it, it, it's pretty much her. Uh, for example, that debutante ball episode I was telling you about where uh, if Margot doesn't go to the ball, uh, Eleanor will shoot her horse. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, it's and then then Margot goes, "Okay, I'll do it." And and Eleanor says, "Oh, I'm so happy. I hope you're not doing it just for me." And it's just that she can so quickly turn on a dime and be so obviously in denial of the type of mother she is uh, is is great. And I think Judith Ivy does a great job with the voice. And then as far as just just straight up bizarre, uh, char- just insane characters. Franklin <laughs> is just a delight. He is one of those characters that is allowed no depth. Like he is not. I mean, I'm sure if the show had gone on, they might have explored something within his character. As it is, he just shows up and says crazy stuff, and it's al- almost always hilarious. So, and I love that they just give him that very brief in the pilot. Oh, he had a stroke last year. Not really, <laughs> but that's what we tell people because he's crazy. And then never again. Just don't touch on it again. He just sees the world as video games when he's driving, for example. <laughs> and I, I absolutely agree. It's it's so fun to have a character just nothing more need be said. The only other character that I kind of want to throw in and mention is uh, Marty. Jay's son, who is basically mini Jay, um, and it, it, it's you're basically getting a chance to see Jay as a as a kid and see basically get a window in, into his childhood. That's pretty much 
to me at least why the character's there and I, I really like basically everything to do with Jay and Marty together whenever they get an episode or a scene. Yeah, that is probably the sweet like Jay with his uh, sister is good, uh, but Jay with his son, like you clearly see that he wants his son's respect, and you see that his son wants to respect him, and it really is a very sweet, uh, pretty genuine relationship. I think. Yeah, it's you know like we were saying earlier, there are a lot of really strong characters, and in any comedy or show in general. Having strong characters is going to get you a solid 75% of the way, and being funny will get you the rest, and this is a show that clearly has both. Um, we are actually running uh, out of time, but do you guys have any final thoughts that you would like to say about The Critic, Tyler? Uh, well, if people, haven't, uh, if people haven't seen it or if they've only heard of it, I'd say you know seek it out on DVD. Uh, people bemoan how bad The Simpsons has gotten, and certainly has uh but if you if you go back and if you're if you're willing to take the time there's in the in the mid 90s there was a lot of great animated uh animated shows including like the tick and duckman and and dr cats and especially the critic um the critic i think because of its willingness to really explore its characters while not sacrificing its comedy i think makes it not merely one of the best animated shows but also just one of the best comedies uh, I've ever seen, and it really does stick with you. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely worth your time. And sadly, it won't take up a lot of your time because there's not a lot of it, and uh, that is unfortunate. Yeah, Simon, uh, rent it sometime and get a window into a into a distant past that is no longer with us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely a fun show. Definitely one worth checking out. It's it's too bad that it, it's not. They took it off rotation, I guess, at some point on Comedy Central. There was a time when that was on every single day. I swear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, but it really, I think, if you like the the style of a Family Guy of cutaways, but you want to have more character and more heart, this is one to check out. Um, and particularly if you enjoy movie parodies as well. So it's a lot of fun. It's a good show to, to check out. And it's on DVD and easy to access. So that that's great, too. Um, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me every week on Battleship Pretension, which I host with David Bax. Uh, and that is just a weekly – it's not a movie review show. It's just a general uh, film discussion show. So it's uh, topic-driven. Um and you can find me, oh, I don't know, twice a month on uh, More Than One Lesson. Uh, we don't necessarily, we don't regularly put out episodes, but I uh, co-host it with my friend uh, Josh Long. And that is uh, film criticism from a Christian point of view. And that is also not necessarily a review show, but we do try to talk about somewhat recent films, like in the last five years or so. Uh, the most recent episode available is about Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, um, which is a wonderful film, and we enjoy talking about it because there's a lot of uh, spiritual connotations to that film. So you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of Televerse. Televerse.